Debbie has a really cool job. She keeps up with the local live music scene for work, and she has friends all over the world. But she's very candid about her loneliness. I do suffer from depression. Her search for love turned dark at an already dark time in her life. This happened to have been around the time my mother was diagnosed with ALS. My name is April, and a scumbag scammer took all of my mother's money. Now I'm learning from others and hoping to spread my education. So here's what happened to Debbie. I am currently 45 years old. I live in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. I work at a music print publishing company where uh, I do a lot of editorial and coordinating for music publications. Oh, fun. That sounds like a fun job. I am single and I live alone. I sometimes date a little here and there and, you know, been open to meeting new people. I'm kind of chronically lonely, I would say. So um, I do suffer from depression. And if you'd like to hear what my story started, that occurred in late 2016. It was November. And this happened to have been around the time my mother was diagnosed with ALS. So I had been using OkCupid for some time. I had received a response from somebody named Gary. I would have been 42 years old at the time. He was 43 years old, lived in Milwaukee. He didn't really seem necessarily like the type I would go for. I guess I tend to be attracted to um, more creative, quirky types. But he said he was divorced. He was originally from the Boston area. had worked in the IT field and was currently an antiques dealer. Well, I thought, okay, that sounded kind of cool. He mentioned um, that he was an only child, he was divorced, and his ex-wife was emotionally abusive. His parents had passed away. And then he had mentioned he was going to soon leave on a trip to Taiwan for business. I thought, all right, no, I uh, didn't really think much of it. It sounded like he had the type of career where people would travel frequently, but there was a good week or so of time before he was supposed to leave on this trip. One night I had even, I was going out to see a friend's band play. It was locally here in the Milwaukee area. I texted him the address. He did have a local phone number. You know, you'd think sometimes if you know, meet somebody on a dating site or a dating app and it's going well, that maybe they would take the opportunity. It's a public place, you know, maybe low expectations kind of environment. Yeah, safe place and you don't have to talk if you don't want to. You can just enjoy the music, yeah. Right, and someone can just leave if things aren't, you know, going well. Gary didn't show up that night, but he did do something that rubbed Debbie the wrong way. He did say something to the effect of be good or behave yourself. It's like, well, what's with that? You know, we've only been texting or messaging for about probably a few days at that point. What right do you have to tell me to uh, behave or <laughs> be good? 
So at the time he left for this trip to Taiwan, we you know, discussed how to stay in touch while he was gone. And we stayed in touch through Google Hangouts. And I had asked, you know, would you prefer I text at this number or some other method? It was a local phone number, so there may be international roaming fees involved. So we chose Google Hangouts. And he did things like send me photos and talked a bit about work and asking me some questions about myself. That's when Gary started his deep dive, trying to find out everything he could about Debbie. Discovering each other's world is a typical next step for two people dating, so that didn't raise any red flags. I asked him about his work, and I did mention that my mother was ill, you know, spending a lot of time with her, and did mention that I was preparing for a trip to London which would take place around the holidays. This was the year of Brexit, and I caught word that the pound took such a major dip in value that airfare to London was pretty cheap. I don't really like to make a big deal about the holidays, so I decided to go around the Christmas, New Year's holiday and arranged where I wouldn't need to um, stay in a hotel or Airbnb. So I decided to go through with the trip and continued to stay in touch. I did notice that he had terrible grammar. Remember, Debbie is an editor by trade, so this is something that would typically turn her off, but she pushed it aside. And this was consistent. I guess I kind of passed it off as sometimes people with more technological minds don't really have the best language skills. And I think I talked it up to um, autocorrect on phone sometimes. Okay, maybe someone chose a wrong word that popped up. And this person claimed to have like an advanced degree, a master's degree. How do you get to a master's degree with such terrible language skills? But he had mentioned something uh, regarding the trip to London, that maybe we could meet there around Christmas. And, you know, I thought that was kind of a strange thing. The friends I was going to see, I was in two different locations. One was in the area south of London, and the other location was in the city of London. I kind of gave the friends I was staying with there a heads up that this person may be coming to London around this time. I'm not going to offer him your homes as a place to stay, but I did mentioned this could have been a possibility. But uh, going back to before I left for my trip, I get a message saying he had a terrible day and he was really upset and some of his merchandise was stuck at customs in Hong Kong and it couldn't be released until he paid for a clearance certificate which was somehow missing from his shipment. He claimed to have been doing this work for around 10 years. So, you know, to me, it seemed strange. Like, you're an independent business owner. Why would you not prepare for such a situation? It was like $56,000 or something. He sent me a document that he said was, you know, what he received from Hong Kong, which looked pretty hokey, actually. So 
he said he needed to submit $56,000 for his customs certificate. And uh, he said he got some of the money from colleagues, but he was about $10,000 short and he couldn't leave Taiwan until he could come up with the rest of the cash. So I didn't volunteer any money to him. I was just trying to be helpful and think of different ways maybe he could access the money, you know, possibly some venues that people might not think of right away, say retirement funds or small business loan. And he just, of course, kept on having reasons why he couldn't access that money. He was out of the country. So, you know, I'm thinking, well, could anyone help? Like he mentioned having a lawyer and an assistant. They actually use the term secretary, which seems to me anyway, seems like kind of a dated term. And, you know, just try to think of ways that could the, go to the U.S. Embassy, could they help him? And I think what got me was that he said he had all, you know, a million dollar check waiting for him at home and he'd be prepared to pay 100% interest. Still at this point did not directly ask for money. So that would mean I'd have an extra $10,000. I'd get my money back if I were to give him this extra $10,000. And then I'd have an extra $10,000. And I don't think I've ever had an extra $10,000. So that was looking kind of tempting to me. But I said, maybe I can help you. But I wanted all the information I could possibly think of getting from him. You know, I, I did put a lot of thought into this. I said, you know, I want your address, your social security number, uh, your secretary assistant, uh, you know, name, address, phone number. And what he had sent me was a personal loan agreement. He said what had been generated from his lawyer. Now, this agreement didn't have any real accurate information. It had what you know supposedly was his old address in the Boston area. You know, it was worded as, you know, I was the borrower and I was getting the money from him. So it was just wrong. And I, and I pointed this out to him and he's like, oh, I can't believe my lawyer did that, you know, and then sent a different agreement with the corrections made. And so, like I said, I did ask for a social security number. It was not complete. Uh, the, the last two numbers were missing. So I had just figured, well, I guess that's sensitive information. So I guess I could see how somebody wouldn't submit their entire social security number. You know, he had signed or supposedly signed this document, which, you know, didn't really look professional. There's kind of this cheesy-looking image of the scales of justice and the text around it said verified personal injury lawyers. So it just looked odd. I decided to send the money and I uh, lied to the person at the bank because I couldn't, my credit union wouldn't allow me to wire money to a foreign account. Strange thing about the account is the address wasn't 
Kyrgyzstan. Okay, like what does Kyrgyzstan have to do with Taiwan, Hong Kong, and such? <laughs> Debbie tried to send the money before, but the name of the country he sent was misspelled. Thank goodness, but she wishes that would have stopped her. I, I did lie and say that I knew the person I was sending the money to, which was supposedly his assistant. So I was able to send nine thousand dollars at that time. About six thousand of it was for my credit card, and three thousand from savings. And I later sent him the additional one thousand dollars through Western Union. So I almost felt relieved because the decision had been made. After that, I had tried to call. The number I was given, the local phone number, and the phone just rang and rang and rang. I never had anyone pick up, so I thought that was kind of strange. We just messaged a little later via Hangouts. One of the friends in the UK who, you know, I let in on this, the friend I stayed with first, she is originally from Argentina, and unbeknownst to me. She had worked at customs in Argentina. It was her friends in the UK who started to shed light on what had actually happened. I sent her the、um, the hokey-looking document, and she's pointing out all the language and just information errors, and just all these things that a an official document shouldn't get wrong. So. Time passes. We're still messaging. The conversation wasn't particularly thought-provoking. It was very common, just asking me what I had for breakfast. He just asked me that, you know, every day it seemed, and just seemed odd that someone would ask that so often. You know, what you're eating for breakfast? So fast forward to the time I leave for London. At this time. Uh, my mother、uh, was still at home. I was visiting her you know, at least a few days a week. You know, and single, I can't stop working. I need my insurance. I couldn't really take a leave. I do have a brother. He lives about a hundred miles away. At the time I left, she was still getting around the house all right、uh, with a walker. But around the time I returned, she. Needed a lot more help getting around. She was basically in the wheelchair. I had sent the money. I did not tell either of my friends in the UK about this. I didn't tell anyone. I don't think how I found out about him being a scammer was when I was in London. I was staying with a friend in London. He's an IT professional. He knew about. The situation, and、uh, on New Year's Day we just decided to stay in and relax because we had gone out、uh, New Year's Eve, and the subject came up. And he was asking me all the questions. I of course asked myself. I know he wasn't trying to make me feel like a fool, but he had asked me. Like, had I ever spoken to him on the phone? Heard his voice? Have I had a video chatted with him? The answer was no. 
And so you sent money to somebody, even though you had never talked to them or heard their voice. I said, yes. He asked what we talk about. And I had to think about it for a bit. And I thought, you know, we, I guess it's mostly small talk. And he asked me how I'm doing. You know, tells me how wonderful I am and that he loves me. And, you know, I talked to him about my mother's health and, you know, the, the fact I was going to London and things about the trip. And, of course, he just he's just asking, you know, these common sense questions. But I was just feeling a big, you know, rock in my stomach. But I did mention to him that... Uh, I had emailed a few times. We'd emailed, you know, through my Gmail, and he asked if I still had them, and I said, yeah, I think so. So, well, first, I believe we searched the phone number, and he found out that the phone number was from bandwidth.com, VOIP, Voice Over Internet Protocol Service, you know, where you can get a phone number and use any area code. Then he did locate through the email the IP address. And the IP address was from Nigeria, and that's when I felt sick to my stomach and just kind of proved that this was a scam and that Gary wasn't real. And now... Course, at this point, this was after we had drawn up the personal loan agreement and I had a local address. After I had returned home, it occurred to me that I should drive to that address. I did drive to the address and it didn't look like there was anybody around, so I walked up to the door. There were four names on the mailbox, none of which were his. This was very close to the um, UW-Milwaukee campus. So, I mean, with four names on a mailbox, it's going to be off-campus student housing. Well, I guess that's just my opinion why somebody uh, who's an educated professional who, um, you know, would want to live amongst college students. Probably around a week after I had sent the money and he said, you know, he was making the arrangements to come home. The next time I had heard from him, he said that he had gotten robbed on the way to the airport and everything was stolen because, of course, that would happen, you know. And that's, I think, well, so when I knew, okay, this, there's something wrong here because, of course, that there's this coincidence that right after I send money, he gets robbed. Again, I was sort of trying to be helpful, and but I did not volunteer any further funds, and there was no way in hell I was going to do that. So he still, in as of like the middle of January, hadn't returned back to Milwaukee. Then at the end of January, the inevitable happened. Um, I hadn't been in touch with him during this time. My mother's condition was deteriorating quite quickly, and I kind of wanted to revisit the money situation. You know, I believe when I did message him 
hangouts, he did not reply. And it was looking very unlikely I was going to see my money. Uh, what I had sent to him uh, the end of January, the inevitable happened. And this last message I sent to them that just said, are you settled yet? I really want this money situation dealt with ASAP. My mom died last night. And due to the amount of money I sent you for my credit card, and you not have enough credit to cover the cremation cost. Um, I had to take on that responsibility because my brother does not have a credit card. And I just said, please help. And I didn't hear back. So it kind of gave me no choice but to tell my brother about what had happened. I ended up uh, being able to increase my credit line a bit so that when we paid the funeral home for the cremation expenses, I could, you know, I could cover it. Well, and as someone who yourself said you deal with depression, you lose your mother and you're figuring that you've been scammed all at once. So what did that do for your depression? Well, I definitely felt like the dumbest person on earth because, like I said, I had all of these red flags and I just felt like an idiot. Like I knew, I knew there were red flags and there were things wrong. You know, I, I, I knew it, but I just did it anyway. And one part of my, uh, you know, my mental depression is that I, I'm a people pleaser. So I think that that maybe how you know what uh, influenced me or kind of you know influenced my decision. You know, to send this money, you know, I did feel terrible that I got scammed, but I was lucky, if you want to call it that, in the sense that my mother's death, like, bailed me out. You know, fortunately, she didn't uh, pass away broke. I was able to pay off my credit card. And I, I still think about it. Sometimes, well, most of the money went into the home that I bought, that I purchased. My mother passed away at, you know, the end of January 2017, and I purchased my condo in November 2017. So a lot went into that, and sometimes I still think, you know, well, I wouldn't have to worry about coming up with the money for property taxes if I didn't you know, spend that money and I would have had more, you know, cash on hand to help pay for bills or whatnot. Um, I did submit uh, a form to the ICC with the FBI. Um, I knew that chances are very slim that people get their money back. But I mean, have you been back online? On the online dating sites? Oh, yes. I think that I can now spot a fake profile from a mile away. Now, had you heard about scamming before this happened to you? Yes, I don't think that I knew a whole lot about it. I I knew that, you know, it was, you know, it, it existed. I don't think at that time I had searched out a lot of information about it. I think it was one of those things where... I thought, oh, it won't happen to me. I'm too smart. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm too smart. Those people wouldn't go after me. I'd be able to 
recognize it. And I'm interested. Are you still seeing a therapist? Um, oh, here's an interesting addition to the story. Um, because I know you do ask people about therapy and such. Who I see consistently at this psychiatrist's office is the psychiatrist. And at that time, I was not seeing a therapist. But I happened to have had a, an appointment with my then psychiatrist. It must have been not long after my vacation. And a lot of times they'll ask you, you know, before they get into the information about your um, your medication, they ask, you know, if anything has changed. And I told her, I said I was a victim of an online dating scam. And she was like, ooh, you need therapy. And she did say it. I'm not even exaggerating. <laughs> she did say it very condescendingly. Oh, now, she was 15 minutes late for my appointment. I'm taking off work to uh, my time to see this person, and I get this from her. I'm sorry, but she gets paid enough to keep her mouth shut. Oh, you know, boy. Or smile and nod or something. You know, Or just, how so, about, I'm sorry you know, for what you've been through. Anything, but, oh, you need a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I reported her to the uh doctor in charge of that office. Good for you. Um, and I got a different psychiatrist, obviously. It can happen to anyone. I thought I'd be one of the last people that this could happen to. I'm very interested in psychology and mental health and human behavior. But uh, I think they should, people should do things like stay informed and get informed by you know your podcast. You know, I, I've learned through about, you know, so many people doing so many great things about the scammers. And, I, you know, it's very actually inspirational to me. Sometimes it does seem tempting if I uh, get a response from somebody who does seem to be a scammer. It's kind of tempting to mess with them. You know, it's not recommended. And I don't know if something something I really want to take the time to to do. A few important takeaways from Debbie that I want to reiterate. Number one, if you can't tell your friends and family everything that's going on with the person you're talking to online, that's a problem. Number two, scammers often dangle a carrot, just like they did in my mom's case. Debbie was thinking she could make a little extra cash, and she wanted that to be true. Number three, if you're going through a difficult time, a divorce, a death, a family member who is sick, you are vulnerable. Something we haven't covered a lot so far on this podcast is once you've been scammed, you're a target and chances are you'll be victimized again. The problem is victims believe now that they know all of the signs. They don't believe they can be a victim again, and that's not true. That's why experts don't recommend baiting the scammers once they've reached out to men and women, because it's too dangerous. On another note, something a little positive, I joined a group this week of local women business leaders in my hometown of Tulsa, and as we went around the room to introduce ourselves and talk about what we each do for a living, I was thrilled to see the reaction from every single woman in the room. There was so much interest that I was asked to actually do like an impromptu presentation. 
and they leaned in, and they all listened, and then they all had questions. Just a little victory I wanted to share. Until next time, Scammer Warriors.